My dearest Athena, all is well in Capernaum. The men continue to train and develop and are good spirits even though we miss our families. Our presence in the region has proven valuable in keeping the peace. Recently, Demetrius, my assistant, became ill to the point of death. No doctor could cure him, and it seemed as though the gods had abandoned him. So I reached out to a man they called Jesus. He is no ordinary man. What our Roman gods and physicians have been unable to do, Jesus did with a word. Demetrius is completely cured. Athena, I have found the one true God. Jesus is God in the flesh. I will explain all when we are gathered again. Your love, Commander Junius, 101 Regiment, Capernaum. Today we're starting a new series that we've titled, The Way I Saw It. In this series, we're going to look through the eyes of characters in the Gospels. And so with that being said, some of what I just read to you was a little bit of artistic license. But we look at the passage in the book of Luke where Jesus speaks a word and heals the servant or assistant of a Roman centurion. As we jump into it today, I want you to turn with me to the passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 7 and verse 7. This will be our key Scripture, and then we'll read the rest of the verses. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Father, I ask you that today, supernaturally, we would be transformed to a faith that causes us to trust you beyond our life experience. That, Lord God, that you would begin to bring us forward in our faith walk. And that, Lord, as we look through the eyes of this simple Roman centurion, that we would find truth for our own lives as we look through his eyes and see you for who you are in Jesus' name. In verse 1 of Luke chapter 7, we'll start reading there this entire encounter that Jesus has with this Roman centurion. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 7, it says, And when Jesus had finished saying all this and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion heard a servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent out some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Verse 6, So Jesus decided to go with them, or went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This passage is magnificent. And I want to use it today to combat what unfortunately happens for, to Christians in the United States. And for some reason, we begin to trust ourselves and our own ability to make life happen. But at the end of the day, we better put our trust in the Lord. And there are things beyond our abilities, beyond our intellect 
that only the Lord Jesus Christ can solve for us. And those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who ask shall receive. As we look at this centurion gentleman, you've got to know a little bit about backstory about a Roman centurion. Uh, first off, you may understand the Roman government, if you will, or this machine called Rome. See, Rome had stretched outside of Italy in the area and began to conquer the surrounding areas. They went north into the Gaul area and all around the Mediterranean Sea with Rome being over here, the Mediterranean Sea, and Jerusalem and Israel down here to the southeast, if you will. And all along that coastline, the Romans had conquered. To do that, they had to have a great, a great war horse, a great military personnel, a great strong military presence. In fact, under Julius Caesar, they conquered great, great, great lands and engaged the dramatic tribes, if you will. But then after his murder by some of the Senate leaders, Julius or Augustus, as he's called, Caesar Augustus took over and he was able to unify Rome again. And it's during that period that Jesus and this passage, if you will, is transpiring. And at this point, they consider Augustus a god. In fact, his face is on all the coins. And to be a Roman centurion meant that you oversaw a hundred men. What would happen was, like many of our campaigns overseas, we would, they would send their military force into an area. They would conquer that area. Most of the time, there wasn't a whole lot of resistance. And they would set up shop. They would set up a fort. They would set up inside of that fort a sanctuary. They would set up inside of that sanctuary um, what were their key pieces of their belief system. In fact, they tied their military force with religion. And so you find that the Roman soldiers worship multiple gods. They worship the god of Jupiter, which gave them power to war. They worship the god Mercury. They worship mainly the emperor and the fallen great warriors of times past. And as they would build out their forts, as they would take over an area, and the inner sanctum of that fort would be their sanctuary, as they would call it. It would have, it would have a place for them to meet and gather. It would have a place for them to worship. It would have the objects of their worship, including a bust of, 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 of Caesar Augustus. And they would worship that. And in fact, the Romans believed that's what kept the soldiers together because they were so far away. In fact, they would have festivals or feasts every two weeks, almost every two weeks, to celebrate some type of God, some type of worship. And they saw that that built, if you will, a camaraderie and a, and a, 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 um, a connection back home to Rome because they would celebrate these festivals at the same time. At the same time, the Roman, uh, the Roman soldiers were giving wine to drink and meat to eat during these festivals. So it, it, it said to the poorer men of the, of, of the government, if you would like to be a part uh, and, and you're struggling, why don't you join the army? Because you get fed well, you'll get treated well. And not only that, the pride that came with it. So these men were men of pride. They worshipped multiple gods. They were tied to the god called Caesar. They would make a, a complete dedication when they lived to Caesar as God. And they would quote that, if you will, every morning when they woke up, their loyalty in an act of worship. In fact, they believed as they would battle that Caesar's guidance would give them strength. 
In fact, when a command came down, they saw that command as the words of a god. And so when a command came down, we're going to take this mountain. We're going to go here and fight these people. Every soldier had been trained by way of religious interaction, by way of their commitment to the Roman machine to conquer the lands. And they saw those instructions, those orders, as though a word from God. And rightfully so in some of their thinking because they had never failed. They had conquered and conquered and conquered. So in this interaction in Luke... We find that this Roman centurion has this engagement with Jesus Christ. Now, to see through his eyes, he is, if you will, the guy in charge of the area. Um, In his command, this amount of soldiers, even though it would only be 100, there were only about 17,000 people in Capernaum at this time. These are a fully vetted, fully powered war machine. And these hundred men could take those 17,000. In fact, they kept the peace as there were factions back and forth of frustration of having to submit to Roman rule and Roman taxation. And so this centurion is, if you will, the guy in charge of the area. So for him to reach out to Jesus and ask for help in and of itself is something so supernatural and so unbelievable that it almost doesn't make any sense. So let's dive into the passages for just a moment. And we'll start there in verse 2. It says this, that he sent word because his servant, whom the master valued highly, was sick and about to die. This in of itself is proof that something had transpired in this Roman centurion to where he had started to put his faith in the God of Israel. That something had shifted because there was not a Roman centurion, especially on the planet, that deemed a servant of any more valuable than that of an animal. Any more valuable of that as a commodity. The fact that this man had a shift in who he was to see his servant, his assistant, now, probably as this word lines out in Greek, this word servant means much more like, like we see Joseph was a servant in Potiphar's house, but he was entrusted with the running of the entire house. So he's a manager. And so, and so if you will, this man, this Roman centurion, his heart is concerned. He has a love for those that he works with, works upon, uh, you know, ministers to. He has a literally, literal concern about his well-being. Otherwise, he could have just let him die off and buy another servant. But he has this deep longing to see this young man, probably in his 20s, this young man healed, to see him uh, 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 protected and saved from death. Now, he's obviously on his deathbed, which probably means this man had money. He'd taken him from doctor to doctor to doctor. He had already called upon probably the fake gods that they had served. And none of this has transpired, uh, has has created any type of, of difference in the situation. And so in this moment, it says that he had heard of Jesus in verse three. He says he heard of Jesus. How did he hear of Jesus? Well, Jesus had just come into Capernaum, and in the chapter before, you can see in the other Gospels, what had happened was Jesus had been in Nazareth, his hometown. And as he was in Nazareth, in the synagogue, he read the passage about the Messiah, and he stands there in front of them all of them, and he says, today this has been fulfilled. 
In other words, I am the Messiah. And they lose their mind in Nazareth because they know him. They're like, wait a minute, we saw, we, that, that's your sisters. I mean, we, we, we see them all the time in Walmart. And bro, I remember you working on my house back when you were in your 20s. So no, no, you're not the Messiah. And it says they got so angry that they took him out to kill him on the side of the cliff. And Jesus literally froze them or whatever happened. And he walked through them and they couldn't harm him. Then he goes to Capernaum. And as he comes into Capernaum, he speaks in their synagogue. And demons come out of people. And then he goes and retires at a house. And they bring all the people, the Bible says, throughout the night. And he's laying hands on them, healing the sick, casting out devils. So what did the centurion hear? He heard that there's a man that's different than everybody else. There's a man who's come into this city who heals the sick, who casts out devils, who does what has never been done before. And I would imagine this man, this Roman, Roman centurion, had been looking for truth his whole life. Because... The gods that he served had failed him. All throughout his life, he was trained to worship this God, that Caesar was God, that this God here, Jupiter, would do this for him. And I would imagine it was met with one failure after another failure after another failure. And here, in a moment of compassion for his servant, and here in a moment of what's going to happen, this guy's going to die, I don't want him to die, but I hear about a man. I hear about a man who heals the sick. I hear about a man who's got enough compassion that he ministers to the people. He doesn't charge them anything. He doesn't ask anything from them. In fact, many are saying he is the Messiah who was prophesied in the Jewish writings of their prophets of long ago. So I believe he's beyond intrigued. I believe his heart is being drawn to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He heard about the things Jesus was doing. My question to you and I as believers who are full of the Spirit of the Lord, do people hear about the great things that God's using us to do? Are there those who say, man, I've heard about you. I heard that you were very gracious at your last job. I heard that when you came in, that everything went further, advanced further than it had been. Friend, I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. And I want people to hear of the amazing things that God's doing through me, to me. Come on, you with me? Say yes. And I want them to be impacted to the place that they want to interact with the same Jesus. Are you there? Say yes. And says, so he asked him, verse 3, asking him, to come and heal his servant. So in verse 3, he asked him, would you come and heal my servant? He won't do it face to face, as we read, because he doesn't feel like he's worthy enough. So he, so he asked some people to, to go ask Jesus. And he asked him to come and heal. And this kind of marked me through the eyes of this Roman centurion. He didn't have, have to ask anybody to do anything. He can demand you come. And you have to come. By Roman law... The Jews were subservient. Whatever I ask you, that's why, that's why the, Jesus was teaching on, uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, if you're asked to, for your cloak, give them your shirt as well. Because the Roman guards, the Roman soldiers, as they were walking through town, they could say, give me that right there, and you had to give it to them. And the Jews hated them for it. Hey, carry my stuff for one mile. And it became a law that you have to carry it a mile. And you can't overexert these guys. They're working in their jobs. You can't pull them out of the field and make them carry your stuff as a Roman soldier. And Jesus said, if they ask you to carry it one mile, go ahead and carry it too. Just go ahead and carry it too. The Jews hated them because they, because they empowered over them. And so for this man to have good relationship with the Jews was proof that something had transpired in his heart. 
And he didn't demand of Jesus to come. He asked him to come. Can I explain something to you? Many of us have failed to ask. The power of what God wants to do in your life, it starts and is initiated when you and I ask. Unfortunately for most of us, we think we can do it in our own strength. Even some of you believe, I don't want to bother the Lord. Some of you have this concept that, you know what, I asked before and it didn't work, so I'm not going to ask again. Friend, if you had the faith that this man had, you would understand that if you ask, you shall receive. If you seek him, you will find him. If you knock, the door will be open. And I'm here to encourage you today ask again. I'm here to tell you today, stop trying to do it in your own strength. Ask the Lord to fix that thing. Ask the Lord to come and heal this situation. Ask of the Lord. Why? Because he loves you. And what was his response? He went with them. Unbelievable. Says, and he asked him, please come. Then as Jesus is on his way, now Jesus is motivated to go with them to this man's house. And I think it's very interesting. I don't believe that Jesus was motivated by the elder speech. Listen, this guy has built us a temple. This dude, now listen, he scratched our backs, we got to scratch his. That doesn't fit in Jesus' character anywhere. Jesus is not manipulated to go do this. Jesus is motivated because of one thing. Because the man asked. Can I help you a little bit with your thinking? Some of you think if I do good, then Jesus will do good back to me. If I give enough at the church, then surely he'll take care of me over here. Friend, can I tell you something? That's a wrong motivation. That's called manipulation. Jesus does good to you because he's good, not because you and I are good. Jesus responds when we ask according to Scripture. Jesus does not push us away because we're good or bad. Jesus calls to us, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Friend, what you and I need to learn to do is ask of the Lord. Lord, help me in my time of trouble. Lord, help me before trouble comes. Lord, I need you in this situation. Jesus, please come to my terrible, violent situation. And the Word of God says that he went with them. He had all intentions. This man's not a Jew. This man's not circumcised. Jesus actually says in one point, I've come to bring the gospel to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. But he responds not because of the manipulation of the elders. I believe he responds because the man asked. And as he's on his way, as he's on his way to do the miracle power work that he's been doing all throughout the town. Look in verse 6 and 7. As he gets almost there, the man sends some friends and he says, Don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy. Don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy. I want you to think about that for a moment. Why would a Roman centurion, he to command this amount of men, he has to be a man of power. Where would this humility come from? This isn't false humility. This is an understanding of authority. This is an understanding of rank. He says, look, don't trouble yourself. What this is, is this man has such a value for Jesus. He brings him to a place in his heart of such great worth that he says to himself, I can't have him. I can't have the, imagine if the president was going to stop by your house. You're like, well, maybe not. But in the other presidents, you'd be like, look, man, I, I can't. My house didn't, you can't come here. Imagine, imagine if Billy Graham wanted to stop by your house. You're thinking, oh man, I got, we got to get some stuff out of the house before he gets here. I mean, you've got this whole feeling and sense that this man doesn't see Jesus as a prophet. He doesn't value him as a person who can do some magical 
doctor stuff for his servant, he sees him as the king of glory. He has been looking. He's been asking if there's a real God in heaven and earth. If there is one, I want to see him. I would imagine that's been his prayer. And in this moment, he says, don't. Go tell him, don't come. Because I recognize I'm not clean enough. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough. To, I, I, I can't. I, I can't. Why? Not because he had false humility. Because he valued the Lord. I often wonder how quickly we have disrespected and dishonored the Lord. He is worthy of all of our trust, of all of our faith. He is worthy for he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Cautious Christians that we don't devalue him, that we don't treat him like our little lap dog, that we don't, we don't act as though Jesus was just another good dude or do that. It makes me real nervous when some of these millennial worship songs, as they treat him like he's their, you know, he's their little buddy, you know, he's my buddy, I'm going to sit with you and drink some Starbucks. He is God. And in this moment, this man recognizes his worth so much to the point that he says, listen, you don't, don't even come. You don't have to worry about coming. Just, just don't come. Just listen. Just speak the word. I recognize that you are God. And God can't come under my roof because I'm unworthy of it. In that worth, something supernatural starts transpiring. In that man's honor of this God incarnate individual, something starts happening right then and there to the place that Jesus is like, What? And then in the next verse, he says it in verse 7. Just say the word. I don't need you to come. I don't need you to lay hands. You're too valuable to even come under my roof. So, sir, I'm one with authority and I'm one under authority. you got to understand, from the eyes of a Roman centurion, if the order comes down to march your men off a cliff, it's the words of God and they march off a cliff. From the vantage point of a man who grew up training in the Roman army, worshiping the gods of Rome, that when Caesar says it will be this way, it is that way. If a commanding officer says that one is to be killed, there is no interaction about it, that one is to be killed. There is no argument about it, there is no discussion of is the words of a god. So he has this vantage point of submission. Come on, somebody. He has this vantage point of trust. Are you with me? He has this. It it has been this trust, this submission, this honor to the system, to the gods that they serve, to Caesar, that has caused them to be able to be a unified front that conquered all the surrounding area. It's what made them one of the greatest military powers in the history of humanity. Why? Because they understood honor, they understood trust, and the world. Words were as life to them. And so he said, sir, I recognize you as the God of heaven and earth. Don't even come. You don't physically have to do a thing. Just speak the word. Why? Because I recognize that whatever force is killing my servant will submit to whatever you say. Wow, what a revelation. And here we are. 
complaining about not having a job. Here we are about suffering as force after demonic force attacks our family, attacks our lives. And we say a little prayer, maybe God, we don't have the same conviction. Jesus, just speak the word and it'll turn around. Jesus, you don't even have to come. Just speak the word. In fact, for our generation, it should simply be, it's already in your word. Show me that so I can hold on to it because it's already been spoken. And what was spoken 2,000 years ago still works today because you're still God today, yesterday, today, and forever. And I surrender myself like a soldier in your army. Whatever you say, I will do, even if it makes no sense to me, even if I disagree with it, even if it wasn't the way I was raised, whatever you say, it will be done. And this is the failure. This is why you and I struggle so much because we don't honor him to that level. So just speak it. And when Jesus hears this, he says, you got to be kidding me. I have not seen in all of Israel this kind of faith coming from a pagan. I have not seen this kind of, he called it great faith in another passage. In fact, we only find Jesus amazed two times in scripture. He's amazed at one point in a group of people's unbelief. And he's amazed right here in this man's belief. See, the natural things that happen, sickness, disease, death, that doesn't amaze Jesus. What amazes Jesus is faith and unbelief. How can you not believe God is here? How can you not believe? Wow! Look at how you believe. I am amazed. So much so that he stops and he turns to the crowd and he goes, Man, y'all a bunch of sissies. Let me just tell you, Adam McCain paraphrase. You got to be kidding me. I healed your mama yesterday. I raised your little friend from the dead, and you don't have this kind of faith. You're still running around trying to get me to, you know, bottle my sweat so that once I'm gone, you maybe can pour it on something. This man has an understanding. Just speak the word, and it will be done. Friend, can you and I get to the place where we trust? Can we get to the place where we faith to this level? I believe it starts with honor. I believe it starts with worth. I think that we see Jesus as pretty important. But I'm cautious to say maybe sometimes we don't see him as all important. As Americans, we center our lives around ourselves. But to be believers, we have to center our lives around him. And his words must become truth and life. And in that moment, that servant was immediately healed. The Bible says that when the friends returned to the house, the servant is healed. Listen, we're not talking about he had the flu. We're not talking about that he had, you know, a, 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 you know, a wounded, a, he had a broke femur or something that needed to be casted. The, the word says that he was near death. Have you been in ICU when someone was near death? Have you sat beside a bed of a dying parent or grandparent as they were breathing their last breath, where there is no hope, where hospice says we gotta, there's nothing we can do. Have you been there before? I have. 
This obviously is the state. He is near death. They didn't call him near death that there was still hope. He is, he is breathing his last breaths. Probably eyes sunk in the back of his head. Probably his skin is yellow. Come on, have you been there? He's probably in that state. And that, that, that commander comes in and he sees that servant. And he's tried everything and there's nothing that will cure him. And so he calls upon this Jesus whom he believes could very well be the prophesied Messiah. And so much so he puts his faith in him to say, you don't even have to come, dear sir. Just speak the word because I understand understand, obey, that if you speak it, it will happen, and that every force and every faction must obey your word. So, sir, I will obey your word. I will surrender myself to you. Just simply speak it. And when Jesus says, I haven't seen such faith, wow, this kid comes alive. Can you imagine walking in the room as this kid sits up? His eyes are back where they're supposed to be. His skin tone is the color it's supposed to be. Energy and vibraciousness comes into his body. And he stands up and he fixes food for the house. He begins to administer whatever needs to happen. Can you imagine what it did to that centurion? In his heart, in his mind, he recognized, I have found the one true God. For there is no other who can do this. This revelation... It's what seems to escape us. And so, to our title, The Way I Saw It, I want to give you three pieces, if you will, of the way the Roman centurion saw it. Three pieces from this passage that I believe you and I need to begin to see it the way he saw it. Number one, write this down. Three ways the Roman centurion saw it. Number one, ask for help because I am limited. I'm limited. I can't pastor you guys. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. Your needs become so great. I can't carry those. So I stand before the Lord on a daily basis and I say, help. Oh, God, these your servants need us. But, Lord, I can't do this. I need you to care for them. I need you to heal them. I need you to sustain their finances. I need you to bind them with other Christians so they don't become islands that just sit in the service. I need you, oh, God. To call them out and speak to them in the night. I need you to convict them of sin. I can never preach good enough to do that. I need your help. When's the last time you really cried out for help? When's the last time you said, I'm not, I can't do this? How many things do we do in our own strength that end up in failure simply because we do not ask for help? Those of us who have kids, we all have these moments, these stories that we can tell. When those kids... And I know most of us don't have kids like this, but every now and then there's a child, maybe a nephew or something, that's hard-headed. Not our kids. That is stubborn. Not our kids. But a neighbor's kid, let's say. And we all have a point of reference to a kid who won't listen, and we all go, do it your way then, buddy. Hope it works out. (laughs) And the enjoyment, the gloating, that we get to experience when that kid all but kills himself (laughs) and mama screaming I can't let what are you he wanted to do it that way you can't let my baby you can't your baby's an idiot and the only way your baby's going to ask for help is for their arrogance and pride to be broken I wonder how many times heaven sits there and goes let him do it then let him try let her do it she thinks she has it all figured out Oh, friend, but to that child who goes, Daddy, I don't know how to do Would you help me? 
Yeah, baby, come on, I'll build your bed, I'll color your, I'll do your homework, come on, baby, I'll do it for you right here. Why? Because we all know the tender compassion that we respond with to those we love when they ask for help. How arrogant must we be that we don't cry out for help on a moment-by-moment basis throughout the day? Here's the second way he saw it. Honor will engage his authority. He understood something. As I show honor, that will engage his authority. Is there anything that is above Jesus? Is there? Is sickness above Jesus? Come on. Is cancer above Jesus? Is poverty above Jesus? Is racism above Jesus? Is separation and divorce above Jesus? If there is nothing that he that, can, that does not have to submit to his authority, then how do we not have his authority working in the deep difficulties of life? How do you and I not engage him and allow his authority to step in on the scene and say, away, get out of here, fear. That's all he has to do. That's all you and I have to engage with. And the reason I believe is worthy and saw it as a truth because we do not honor and count Jesus as worthy enough. Oh, I don't know what you honor in your life. And the word honor means to esteem and value highly. What do you esteem and value as the most important thing in your life? Your grandkids, your job, your beauty, your education, your money. What do you esteem? Is worthy. Friend, I've come to the place that Jesus and him alone is worthy of all of my honor, all of my respect. And when that honor is engaged, when I give him the honor he deserves, that engages his authority. It's like a mechanical piece. It's like turning the power of that tractor on with that forklift on the front of it that can move big things. When Jesus speaks it, the demons tremble. Come on, are you there? What he says must be obeyed by every force. And the question is, why is that not transpiring? I believe this man got it right. Honor engages his authority. Here's the third thing that the centurion saw. And that was, if, we just, if he'll just say the word, it will happen. I don't need you to do it. I don't, I don't need you to come. Just speak the word. Frank, can I tell you something? Everything that Jesus ever wanted you to know, he already spoke it. Everything, every answer to every problem you'll ever face, he's already spoken it. He's already spoken it. That's why I teach you all the time. You have to appropriate his word into that situation. You're struggling with pornography. You're struggling with perversion in your mind. You're having difficulty being faithful to a marriage. Go find everything he said about purity and appropriate it. Speak what he spoke. Submit to what he said. And what happens is you and I submit to what he said in his word. Everything else will submit to it as well. Speak, speak what he said about sickness and disease. Appropriate what he said. This man had it right. All I have to do is get him to speak it. It will happen. My question to you is what have you and I allowed to continue? Difficulties in our life simply because we won't allow God's words to be spoken over it. Years ago, I served a sweet lady named Frida Lindsay. She was one of the most magnificent generals of the faith that I had the privilege of serving alongside and under. And she was ending her season on this planet, 94 years old. And I had heard the stories and experienced in my own life the faith that she walked in. 
the miracles that she saw. I'll never forget at one point, there was a tornado coming towards the campus. And she walked down on her little front porch thingy of her little apartment. And she said, I command you not to touch our property in Jesus' name. And that thing split in two, went around, see if or not, and went on about his business. And she went back to bed. <clears throat> and towards the end of her life, I recognized we're about to lose a great general. And so I sat her down and I asked her, would you read for me every scripture about healing? I want to record you. And she said, I will. And I recorded her reading from her place of experience, from her place of honor and trust, the spoken word of Jesus, the healing words of Christ. And I had her read them, and I recorded it. We put it into a CD. And Frank, can I tell you what we've done with that over the years? We put that playing beside the bed of those dying of cancer, those who are with some type of life-threatening disease or situation. And as those words of Jesus' healing begin to permeate the heart and mind and sift through all the unbelief and get down at the heart of a man, down to the spirit of a woman, gets down inside of them, all of a sudden that faith starts arising and that honor starts arising to the place where Jesus calls it great faith. I haven't seen this kind of faith, this kind of faith. This kind, I haven't seen, I'm amazed, this blows my mind. And as they begin to listen to it, as Frida Lindsay read, uh, read it and read it, and I believe it's outlived her, obviously. She don't have to lay hands on anybody. She's not the great prophet. She just was a servant of God. But as Jesus's words were spoken and read over people dying, we see many of them come back, be healed, totally get out of those beds, totally get healed of cancer. Why? Because faith dropped inside of them to believe the word of God. Frank, can I tell you something? The problem isn't with his power, his authority. The problem is with mine and your faith. The problem is not with can he do it or will he do it. The problem is whether or not we will actually trust him to the very end of it all. Can we stand there and say, don't even come, just speak it. Because if you speak it, it will happen. This is the faith that you and I have to walk in, especially for what's on the horizon here in the United States. This is the confidence. This is the submission that you and I have to walk in. Through the eyes of the centurion, may we learn some great truths. Would you stand with me all across the, day, all across the sanctuary today? I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Let me minister to you. If... Today, as I was ministering this truth, I know even as I was preparing it, the tugging of my heart, the cutting away of the fatty tissue of my spiritual heart, I felt as though there have been so many times, and in my own strength, I've tried to move the hand of God. I felt like I was like these Jewish leaders and tried to manipulate Jesus over that. Lord, I did this, so you need to do this for us. Lord, I've been faithful to this. How come you haven't been faithful to me? I found myself as I was reflecting, as preparing this message, I found myself having lost a little value for the fact that Jesus is complete, unadulterated, all-powerful, the living God. That his words are life. And if he said it, it will happen. And I found that even in my own life, unbelief still resonates in some areas. And I would challenge us today to see through the eyes of this centurion and come to the place of honor and respect when it comes to Jesus, that his words are the words of the living God.
And they are not only transformative, but they're to be submitted to. They're to be embraced. They're to be trusted. This is the place called great faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you today to help us in our unbelief, oh God. Lord, help us not to value you another moment as just some figure out of history, some distant God that we really don't know. Lord, may something begin to stir in the hearts and minds of our people. Lord, may each and every one of us begin to recognize where unbelief has set in, where fear has crippled us, where a lack of real honor has caused truth to be disabled. May your authority well up inside of us. May the word of God become life to us, for in it are the truths that bring life to those around us. God, I pray right now for a deliverance from unbelief, that we would be men and women of great faith here at Church on the Hill. That, Lord God, that we would not find ourselves doubting you, find ourselves fearing that you won't do it so we have to manipulate you in some kind of capacity. May we walk as sons and daughters of the Most High, knowing that your words are life, that your words, everything you've said, must be submitted to by every force. Lord, I thank you for your kindness towards us. It makes no sense to us that you would love us and call us your beloved, your sons and your daughters. So in this holy moment, Jesus, I ask you now, forgive us for unbelief. Come on, I want you just to say that under your breath. Lord, forgive me for unbelief. Where have you doubted him at? Have you doubted him in your finances? Have you doubted him in that relationship that's strained? Have you doubted him? Have you doubted him in reference to your children? Have you doubted him in reference to sickness? Have you doubted him in reference to your small group or to your friend source? Have you doubted that his words were true? Friend, today, let us see through the eyes of this Roman centurion. Sir, just speak the word. I'm unworthy to have you come under my, my roof. It's, it's, you're too valuable to even come inside my home. Oh, but you call me a friend. And I ask you now to do what you said you can do. Father, heal your sons and daughters. Lord, we put our faith and trust in you in this moment. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to give a call today. Maybe you say, Pastor, I gotta be honest. I lost faith in Jesus years ago. I'm not a Christian. I've come to service today and my heart is drawn to God, but I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I walked away from him years ago, months ago. But something inside of me cries out for the Lord. Today, I'm ready to get right with God. Maybe you would say, Pastor, let me be honest. I've never been a Christian. I've never been one. I, I, I didn't really know what it all meant. But as I've been with you guys the last few weeks, the last few moments, I sense the real God. I, like that Roman centurion, I, this is truth. I see it. I, I feel it. I know it's true. And I want to put my faith in Jesus. Friend, I want you to know something. i got such good news for you. You don't have to perform for him. The Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth 
and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's not mad at you. He drew you here today. If you're watching by way of our podcast, he, he, he drew your attention to this video because he wants your heart because he loves you and he's made a way for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian or you're away from God and you want to come home, would you let me pray with you? I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not trying to get, I'm not trying to point you out so everybody can see you. I just want you to make a definitive decision. I want the love of God to abound in your heart. I want the shame to be washed away. I want the guilt to come to an end. And I want you to know the living God is your personal Lord and Savior. And I want to pray with you and lead you into that relationship. With no one looking around, if I'm speaking to you and you say, Pastor, that's me, I'm away from God, and I want to know Jesus today. I want to pray the prayer of salvation. I want to ask Jesus into my life. With no one looking around, if that's you, would you just slip up your hand? Say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, man. Anybody else, pray for me. God bless you, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Just give you a couple seconds. Thank you, sir. Amen. It's been a couple hands. Anybody else? Just two, three more seconds. Don't, don't push him away. This is your moment. No one's looking around. Just me and you and Jesus. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you. A couple more seconds. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer. A prayer of repentance. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray out loud. But those of you that lifted your hand, I want you to mean this from the depths of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender. My life, my desires. I recognize I'm a sinner. But I thank you for dying on a cross for me. And today... I receive your forgiveness. Wash me clean. Make me new. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. Jesus, I'll say it again. Jesus, I belong to you all my days. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray right now for every man and woman who said that prayer and meant it from the depths of their heart. For those that were coming back to you, for those that were praying it for the first time, I pray right now they would sense your glory. They would sense your love like a child who's being embraced by a father, by a loving mother. Lord, that they would would sense your embrace and know that you're for them. And when the lies come, you didn't mean that. Oh, you just did that because you, you're going to go back to those old drugs. You're going to go back to that old way of living. Lord, I thank you right now when those lies come, that they will be silenced by your love, by the truth that we can't do anything to make ourselves right. But Lord, when we submit to you, you make it all right. And so today, Lord, let peace and joy abound and let your mercies endure forever in Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted amen and amen.